I hope all of you are uh, doing well today. Thank you all for joining those who are online. Um, I have to move this back a little bit more now. Do I look good? Great. Um, but yeah, thank you all for joining us today. Um, it is a blessing to have all of you here. Thank you all who helped out at this church service by you know, helping us set up everything, um, with helping us in the back, helping us with the singing, helping us just praying for us and being part of the service. We're so thankful that you are part of the service and helping what we're doing, supporting us, and that, that means a lot to all of us. Um, today what we're doing is we are starting something that maybe some of you are used to. Um, we're not necessarily starting like a series per se, what uh, we're going to do during, like, until from now to all the way to August or even September is um, we're just going to talk about, have several different talks. It's not going to be like a series, um, but a common element throughout all of them is that sometime throughout the year, God, like, tugged on my heart to talk about this topic. Um, so it's just going to be different random topics that I think are relevant to all of us. Um, especially here at Encounter Church. So uh, today's topic, it's really going to focus on um, just the personality, the identity of who we are. And we're going to spend time talking about that. Um, and this is, if you're new, if you're connecting online, if you're hearing this, um, great. Hopefully you could, this is a window to what Encounter Church is about. Um, but I also encourage, but, but like my main focus is the family, the church family here at Encounter Church and just encouraging them, um, encouraging all of you um, as part of Encounter Church. So, yeah, so if you have your Bibles, uh, please open it up with me to Ephesians 2.19. It's also in your notes. Um, it's, uh, I included on your, in your notes uh, the scripture and there's also fill in the blanks. Since we don't have a projector, I included the first letter of each from the blank word, so that could be helpful, but Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, 19. And I'm actually changing Bible versions. I was reading from the NIV, but it's been a year since I've been using the NIV, and I think it's a good practice to switch it up. Um, it's always good to be reminded that there are different translations and different versions, so... I'm reading from the Christian Standard uh, Bible, the CSB, Ephesians 2.19. So then, it goes like this. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Just that verse. And I'll read it again just so we could internalize it. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens within the, with the saints and members of God's household. You are no longer a foreigner. You are no longer a stranger. It doesn't matter how different you feel you are. It doesn't matter how ostracized you, you feel that society makes you feel. As a follower of Christ, you have become a citizen of God's people of God's kingdom. You are welcomed to God's household, household, to his family. You are welcome here at Encounter Church. Encounter Church is 
part of God's family. And with that, let us all pray, and we'll get started with today. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us all here. I pray that our hearts may be open to what you have to say, that it may not just stay in our minds, but it may go into our hearts, and that we may embrace the identity that you have given us, Lord. We, we all have different personalities. We all have different gifts and talents, Lord. And I, I pray that we may embrace who you have made us to be, God. We're not foreigners. We're not strangers. We are part of your family. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. My goal is that we would understand ourselves better. That is my goal for today. And I want to, uh, for us to understand ourselves better by understanding the personality that God has given us. By no means am I going to bash other churches, but I am going to talk about the fact that, you know, we are different from other churches. But being different is okay. We are not foreigners or strangers, although we might not look like a typical church. We are still fellow citizens with God's people and members of His family. But let's be honest with ourselves. We have a mission. We exist to reach the lost generation with the good news of Jesus. And that's the first fill in the blank generation with the good news of Jesus and to disciple students of the Bible. We have a vision. We strive to be a thriving gospel-centered community that equips the people of Lodi and the surrounding areas like Stockton. And, to, and if we want to achieve our mission and vision, we need to be honest about ourselves. How are we going to do this? How are we going to be, be this? We, we are moving, however slowly we are moving. We, we are not supposed to stay stagnant. We are doing what we're supposed to be doing. But I'm wondering, how are we going to continue to move? Are we going to do what successful churches have done in the past? And my answer to that is no. Because we are not like the successful churches that we see it in culture. We are, there, there are certainly things that we can learn from them, but we are different. When you think about the biggest churches, there's a word that might come up when you think about big church, and this is a bigger church. We could say that this is our church, Encounter Church, and this is just big, okay? And when you, when you look at a big, and you, we could say that we could consider them to be successful as well. Successful. There's a word that comes up when we think about these churches. And it's the word extrovert. Or loud. We overwhelmingly are not like that. They, the word extrovert, what it means basically is that they get energy from people and activities. And while we do have an extrovert here and there, um, we are overwhelmingly introverted as a church. Um, that is just, I was talking to Elida about this. I'm like, I want to make sure that my assessment is correct because I'm like, I, I feel this way, but I'm not sure. And she agreed with me. 
Um, if we did a poll, if we did an assessment, there would be some extroverted, but compared to like the other churches, we are more introverted than extroverted. We don't get energy from being with people, although we can be with people. We actually lose energy after much activity and interactions with people. We do want more extroverts so that we could be more diverse. But for this season, it seems like Encounter Church has this bent towards introversion. Let's be honest with ourselves. We like our space. We like to breathe in our little bubble. And again, some of us can be extroverted at times, but for the most part, after church, everybody wants to go home to rest. Elida and I like taking naps after church because, to be honest, church does take away some of our energy. And we also like getting early to celebrations so that we don't have to go around saying hi to everyone. I've learned that with my parents and also yesterday going to a party. We just like getting there earlier just so we have our spot because going around and saying hi to everyone does take away some of our energy. Sometimes I go out with Oscar where there's a lot of people and initially I go out with a lot of energy all pumped to conquer the world, excited, but then I lose energy after the first 30 minutes and just want to play pool or eat or sit down and listen to some music. But when we think about the church at large, the personality of the successful church is extroverted. You go in during the time where you go say hi everybody during the greeting time, they take up several minutes. We take less than a minute to say hi to everyone. It could also be that there's just less people, but even then they, they talk more during the greeting time. They stand up, raise their hands, sing with their voices in front of total strangers. Maybe some of us are not comfortable with that. They also do breakout groups, pray with strangers in groups of two or, two or three. Their culture is extroverted. And part of the reason is that the leadership that they have is also extroverted. And while we would want more extroverts here, I think it's good to have a diverse group. Um, it's not the case right now. It would not be right for us to immediately pick up the way that extroverted churches are doing things, to do it how the extroverts have done it. It reminds me of the story in the Old Testament of David and Goliath. You've heard the story of King David. He, before he was King David, he was a young boy, and he defeated Goliath with a slingshot and some rocks. Well, before David went to face Goliath, the, this interesting little event occurred, 1 Samuel 17, 37-39. Then David said, The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go and may the Lord be with you. And then this is, this is the interesting part that I want to focus on. Then Saul had his own military clothes Put on David. He put a bronze helmet on David's head and had him put on armor. David strapped his sword on over the military clothes and tried to walk. So he's walking with Saul's, Saul's clothing, with his armor. But he was, he was not used to them. I can't walk in these, David said to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off. King Saul gave David his armor. But David took it off because he wasn't used to the armor. 
He fought before, but not with the sword, but with a slingshot and stones. Well, if we try to be like these big churches, it's as if David had put on Saul's tunic. It's not us. It's as if we're trying to do something that we're not used to, that our personality is not used to. And it's an extroverted approach. It's like we're putting on armor. And certainly we need guards with armor, but that's not a lot of us. We should grasp who we are and how we have done things in the past. How have we built relationships in the past? I know from my experience, I have built relationships by being myself. Authentic relationships occurred when I didn't try to be somebody else. And genuine relationships will flourish in this church the same way, when we recognize that we don't have to be like the other churches. When we think that we have to be like all these other churches, we become imposters. But what if God wants us to be different? What if for so long the successful model for churches has been extroverted and now it's time to tell others that not all churches are extroverted. There is a place for introverts and also for extroverts. But there, right now there is a big need, since most churches are extroverted, there is a need where, for a place where introverts could be themselves could be what God has called them to be. I always felt like I needed to be somebody else in, at churches, at other churches. I needed to be constantly loud. I needed to be social. I needed to be expressive. I needed to have a vote, overt passion. I needed to participate in all of the activities. But man, all of that took a toll. It, 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 it just caused me to just feel weight and tired, and, and it didn't recognize who God created me to be. I'm not somebody who just does and does. I, I'm more introspective, calm, and sometimes when I'm super excited, all I say is cool or awesome and nice, and that, that means I am genuinely excited. And this might not look like the typical church pastor or what a successful leader looks like. Many think that Jesus was an extrovert, but the Bible's not clear on whether Jesus was an extrovert. Sometimes when the crowds were around him, Jesus would just retreat from the crowds to pray alone and be in solitude with the Father. Imagine that, you're in a party and Jesus is there at the party too and then suddenly he disappears just to, uh, for a period of time because he needs time to be alone with God. But part of the reason that so many people think that Jesus was extroverted is that here in America, there is a tendency to value extroversion over introversion. If you think extroversion is better than introversion, it's likely that you're going to think that Jesus was an extrovert. But that's just a cultural bias and assumption. We see this bias in American culture, in schools, corporations, and social institutions. Those who are talkative, outgoing, energetic, and assertive have a decided advantage. School teachers are like, your son is too quiet if your son is an introvert. 
I know I've heard in my family, I've heard that all my entire life, that I'm too quiet. When I was just thinking and observing and processing everything that was happening. But it's sad that people actually believe that extroversion is essential. It's the way to go when a lot of people are introverts. The author of The Pursuit of Happiness, that eventually became a movie, he said that the recipe for happiness includes self-esteem, optimism, and extroversion. In this culture, extroverts seem happier than introverts. They are esteemed. But people who enjoy reflection and solitude, they like to listen more than they speak, by and large are seen as mysterious, enigmatic, antisocial, passive, and even less desirable as friends or partners. Because of this cultural bias against introverts, one writer for The Atlantic, Jonathan Ranch, said that introverts are among the most misunderstood and aggrieved groups in America, possibly the world. And although we have this extroverted ideal that we need to be extroverts, a lot of the recent surveys show us that the majority of the population is introverted. In one study, it said that 50.7% of the population is introverted. Another study suggested that it's one third or half of the American population which is introverted. So basically, one out of every two or three people you know is an introvert. And let me tell you, it's sad that this extroverted ideal exists within the church. It would also be sad if the introverted ideal existed, if we just wanted introverts, that would be bad too. But right now it's sad that this exists, that the extroverted ideal exists, because there's so many introverts who are just feeling marginalized. They go to church and they feel left out. Extroverts right now, they're not upset about the loud extroverted trajectory of the church. But many introverts, thousands of introverts, according to a book that I read recently, and I have felt it myself, introverts have a degree of frustration and a sense of exclusion from these types of churches. Many introverts believe that their churches and theology and practice are not accommodating. They don't like do things for introverts. These introverts have difficulty finding a place in their community where they feel encouraged to be who they are and to serve in a way that is consistent with who they are. Let me, let me tell you a story about, that I read about in, in this book that I read in, it called Introverts in the Church. For several years, an introvert, Emily, participated in a Christian community where extroversion was normal. She, she, Emily, she came from Japan a culture unlike ours where servanthood and deference to others are highly desirable qualities. The, and the Japanese culture is more introverted than the American culture. So when she immigrated to America, she felt displaced. Since America values self-promotion and aggressiveness, 
She had good, positive relationships with people in the community, but she always she was always considered to be on the fringe. People always thought that she was going to leave because she spent a lot of time to herself. People always feared that she would leave the church because she liked her space. I know people felt that way towards me, unfortunately. Leaders would talk to me saying, Daniel, I'm afraid that you would leave the church because of my introverted personality. Well, for the communities that Emily was a part of, for her to be intimate, intimacy with God and with community, that meant that she had to be involved with, with more and more activities and have more and more social interactions. The more activities, the more social interactions that you had, the more spiritual you were considered. So, because people thought Emily was antisocial, they thought that Emily was lacking in faith. She was also private, so she resisted sharing intimate details of her life with others. And others perceived her lack of vulnerability as a, as a heart resistant to God. Even though she had leadership traits, she was never asked to be a leader because she did not show outward, her outward expressiveness. She wasn't loud. That were, were, was considered a mark of faithfulness in this community. And that's a sad story, but a true one. And I, I hope we don't become like that and think just because somebody's an introvert, comes from a different culture, is quieter. I hope that we don't think that just because you're, you're social, that means you're more spiritual. God has made us different. Each person, yes, you may be social, and that's how you interact, and that's awesome. But there are also people who are not as social, and God made them to process things slowly, to take more time to speak, and that is totally fine. I, I hope we don't see that the mark of progressing faith is familiarity with a growing number of people and participation in an increasing number of activities. Not everyone works that way. Extroverts might work that way. But introverts, they get tired. They get worried and sometimes look at this, look at all this activity, and they see it as it's discouraging. We, we are not against intimate relationships. Actually, we want deep relationships. But our relationships might be a little different. Our relationships might be a little quieter and private. We prefer quality over quantity. Smaller groups which, with which we are comfortable with. So, so I hope you're seeing this. There, there are a lot of churches, and I'm not bashing, but there are a lot of churches that are just extroverts, just the nature of how things are. We grow, it's in, Amer in America, the America, in America we have this extroverted ideal. But I think there's a big need for introverts to feel welcomed. We are naturally introverted as a church at large. Again, not everyone is an introvert and that's totally fine. I think in the future, in a different season, we may have a balance of both, and I think that's the best. But in this current season, God has given us the personality that we have so we could welcome people who for a long time have felt marginalized. And that means we do things a bit different. 
I, as an introverted pastor, do things a bit different. I remember reading a biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a missionary and pastor during Nazi Germany, in Nazi Germany. And a student of his shared that his students would walk into his classroom or wherever he was teaching and just listen to him speak. And guess how Bonhoeffer taught? He taught from a manuscript with a monotone voice. But the students were attentive because the students found what Bonhoeffer said to be important. I picked up the manuscript thing partly because of time. I used to preach once a month or three times a year. So I had time to get things together without notes, but now I preach weekly, so I use notes. And unlike Bonhoeffer, I don't always have a monotone voice. That's just not how I learned how to preach. But, but if I showed the style of preaching to other churches, to churches that are extroverted, they might think that I'm doing things wrong just because it seems more natural to me. Pastors up here, they preach with a conversational style and loosely organized style as well, which also contributes to the length of their sermons. I try to be conversational within my notes so that it doesn't appear to be a lecture, but I do not like wasting my words. I know that without my notes, I'll miss a couple things. I will also repeat myself a couple times, especially if I don't prepare as I, like I used to. I would also be loosely organized, and frankly, I would take up more time to say less than if I just used notes. And certainly, I hope we could get different types of pastors and preachers. Even I change it up at times. Sometimes I don't use notes just to change it up. But we should be okay just recognizing who we are and accept what we do instead of trying to be like other people. You know... Popular churches, they weren't always extroverted. Churches weren't so talkative, especially during services. At one point, they would just come in and they would be quiet and solemn reverence. But nowadays, it feels like you're going to a cocktail party or a concert. And again, I'm not saying that one is right or wrong. I'm just saying being op be open to different expressions. My approach to scripture and preaching might be quieter, slower, more thoughtful, more med meditative, and that is fine. And there are these other churches where you, you, you get this upfront, talkative, active church, whereas, unfortunately, an introverted pastor can be viewed as self-absorbed or standoffish, and, and we introverts can sadly, if I could be honest, feel like outsiders, even if we attend a church faithfully for years. And then we, we, there, there comes personal evangelism, going out and telling people for Jesus. We put a high priority on personal evangelism. Right? We take the Great Commission very seriously, as we should. And many of us, unfortunately, may equate the Great Commission with speaking the gospel. But I find this phrase that has been attributed to St. Francis to be helpful. Preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. Preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. We don't think about evangelism this way. Sadly, we think evangelism only occurs when we persuade people with relevant arguments or share our testimony. 
Sometimes I've been part of these strategies. Evangelism needs to be aggressive, confrontational. Evangelism in this view sees it as our duty to challenge and disprove the viewpoints of others while demonstrating how our view is superior. That's not right. And certainly there is a place for sharing ideas and debate. But if we think of evangelism as just words, this might scare introverts. Because according to God's design for us, we tend to be careful. Careful to use our words. Careful with our words. So we think that extroverts have an advantage in evangelism. They, they could just speak their mind. Most models of evangelism, evangelism includes small talk. And for many introverts, small talk with strangers, that takes a lot of energy. And then we need to have a long conversation that hopefully introduces Christ. It's hard. But again, it wasn't always like this. Revivals back in the day with the Great Awakening actually included both an introverted and extroverted approach. There would be an extroverted pastor who would go up and preach with energy, and then there would be this introverted Highly introverted. Jonathan Edwards is an example. He would provide like an intellectual framework and just talk to people, slowly explaining things, but not with a confrontational approach. But things changed. Now it's only the extroverted approach, the loud approach. And we don't have to have a loud approach. In your notes, I included this quote. It's towards the end of the first page. And I like what this, this person said, Henry Nguyen. Sometimes it seems that our many words are more an expression of our doubt than our faith. Our many words are more an expression of our doubt than our faith. Why? It is as if we are not sure that God's spirit can touch the hearts of people. We have to help him out with and with many words convince others of his power. But it is precisely this wordy unbelief which quenches the fire. Sometimes we think we have to explain everything. But what about the Spirit? Can't, we should trust and have faith that the Spirit will say things that we can't say or explain. Sometimes we see a loud person, a loud person for Christ, and we're like, wow, she can convince anyone to live for Christ. Her many words are persuasive. But we should recognize that if we rely on our wit, words, on our wits, on our boldness, on our explicitness, we are not giving the Spirit a chance to touch the hearts of people. If we trust that the Spirit can touch the hearts of people, change lives, then that could help us be okay with being quiet. The Spirit is working, and sometimes we don't need to talk too much to show Christ to evangelize. Listening is a powerful tool. We, we don't need to say the, the cliches have these hollow sound bites or these repetitive song lyrics, we, we can have a different approach. We can trust that the Spirit is working. Sometimes I feel like the American church is more of a business than a family. Eugene Peterson, the 
translator of the Message Bible paraphrase, if you've read that one, he, he said this, American religion is a conspicuous for its, it's known for, it's conspicuous for its messianical pretentious energy. It's embarrassingly banal prose and it's impatiently hustling ambition. Seems like we're just hustling, trying to get everybody who we get, like a business, like a salesperson. We are so consumed with motion, growth, and expansion. And it's embarrassing that the church is seen this way. It might seem that we're desperate. You know, in the last century, we have seen the growth of the megachurch. Megachurches were not common back in the day. People did not have cars, so they went to whatever church was closest to them. And thankfully, uh, there are good things about megachurches. Megachurches have reached thousands, thousands of people with the gospel. And they have connected with the surrounding culture. But at its worst, megachurches have produced a superficial, consumerist mold of Christianity that has sold the gospel like a commodity, like something you just add upon your regular life. You know... The goal of the megachurches, and again, this isn't an attack, it isn't, it isn't an attack, but just an observation. So don't be hostile towards megachurches. There's a lot of good and a lot of things we could learn from them. God does use them, but many of these churches, they, they hope to create these comfortable environments for seekers so they could grow rapidly. Growth is not bad, but sometimes when we would just try to make whatever is easy, whatever fits, so we could get the most people. A lot of the sanctuaries in worship are stripped from the mystery and the sacred. Everything needs to be fast-moving. We need these high-production events to entertain us, use media to dazzle us. But sadly, all this noise, and again, I'm not against these things, and if you want to implement some of these things, if you have ideas, let me know. But sometimes with all this noise, with all this noise, it doesn't help us grow quiet enough to hear the voice of God. We are preoccupied with size, with celebrity. We want pastors and preachers who are dynamic, who are larger than life, who hold everything together with their charisma. But we don't have to be like that. We could just Wait upon the Spirit. Hear the voice of God. It's kind of sad that, uh, and it's the truth, that some churches, there are churches, and not all churches, but there are churches who will not hire pastors who are introverted. They won't. They want to continue this trend. I believe that we need both introverted and extroverted qualities in a healthy church. We don't have extroversion too much right now. We are overwhelmingly introverted, and we should accept that for now. There will be changes when we, be, when we become more diverse, but right now, it's okay. It's okay that most of us would rather relax alone or with a few close friends. It's okay to only consider deep relationships as friends. It's okay to need rest after activities, even activities that we enjoy. It's okay to often listen, but to talk a lot about topics of importance to us. It's okay to appear calm, self-contained, and, and like to observe. It's okay to think before we speak or act. 
It's okay to prefer a quiet atmosphere. It's okay for our minds to go blank in groups or under pressure. It's okay to not feel, not, not like feeling rushed. It's okay to make slow and methodical decisions. It's okay to have great powers of concentration. It's okay to dislike small talk. It's okay to desire private space and time. It's okay to treat your homes as your sanctuaries. It's okay to prefer to work on your own rather than with a group. It's okay to prefer texting over calling somebody. It's okay to not share private thoughts with many people. It's okay. And you're not a foreigner anymore. You're a member of God's family. It's okay if you're completely different. Embrace who you are, who God created you to be. If you have been hurt by this type of church, by this extroverted ideal, or maybe even introverted ideal, though it's less likely, take time to heal. Don't think of healing from who you are, but from the culture, how culture and churches have believed that you needed to act. Our introversion is here to stay. God made us this way. Or God has made you an extroverted. Either way, we need healing from the internal wounds and feeling, feelings of inadequacy. And from the outward wounds of alienation from others and rejection from some of our communities. It can be damaging to be compared constantly to extroverts. We, we are just different. Healing can occur when you accept your God-given identity. Seek that freedom and the peace that comes from self-acceptance. Identify and appreciate your unique gifts. Be at home with yourself. Be at home with the fact that Jesus loves you just as you are. And also, I know that this may sound counter to what I have been saying, but heal in community. It doesn't have to be a big community. It could be with one or two other people, but be intentional. We are, even if you're an introvert, we are social beings, even though we interact with people differently. Introverts should retreat to regain energy. We should re-engage with community. We retreat, but we always come back to experience love, support, correction, and comfort. And how we practice evangelism might be different too. Some people like to like praying, or I mean spiritual disciplines. Some people like praying loud. Great, that's awesome. Introverts may be quieter in their prayer, more reflecting, and that's okay. Maybe you need to be stimulated with music. You need to listen to music. Or maybe you need to focus on one thing. One godly thing as you meditate. Maybe in the prayer you like talking a lot. Or maybe you could just try listening. God, what are you trying to tell me? Maybe you could try solitude, alone with God over a period of time. Also, as a side note, getting enough sleep is important for your spirit. Get enough sleep. An interesting observation that uh, the book that I was reading made in a series of interviews, it turns out that many introverts require more sleep than average. Elida and I like our sleep, so maybe that um, gives us some insight to that. But commit yourself to practicing spiritual disciplines, however, however it looks like. 
Pray with your daughter or children. And when you think about these things, think about making it a habit, a rule of life. Also, ask yourself, when are you most energized during the day? It varies for me. Like a couple months ago, it was midday. Then it was night. And right now, it's probably going back to night. That's when I feel most um, energized. When do I feel most tired? Right now, it's during the midday, like around 3. So I shouldn't be doing things. I should find rest during that time. What physical habits energize you? When do you like, when do you need solitude? How does your soul find rest and do those things? What are the spiritual disciplines where I feel most restored by God? What are the relationships in which I feel most refreshed? Then adjust your life accordingly. Maybe include some of these disciplines, morning writing or reading, several short breaks of solitude throughout the workday, time with people in the evening, late evening walks, naps, you can have a spiritual life. It doesn't have to be a loud spiritual life. It could be a quiet one. Find a spiritual life that fits, fits the personality God gave you. And you can also have a community life. You still need a sense of belonging. You still need some commitments. But we approach things differently. One of the reasons that we might not be so vocal in community, group, community groups is that it takes so much energy to speak out. It takes energy to think of something worthwhile and then say it. And then when we do say it, somebody interrupts you. And I'm like, I just, it just costs so much energy for me to say that. And then so I'm interrupted. So we need to be wise and we need to be aware and communicate. We, we, we talk slower. We speak less. We rest more. We need to be wise in how we use our, our stamina. We need to be intentional with the friends we want to make. We don't have to be friends with every single person. We need to be inten intentional with the relationships we want to build instead of wasting our energy in every single relationship. Introverts, they could be leaders too. Here's something interesting though. Introverts usually are not prone to self-promotion and don't care about corporate ranks and assuming a leadership role, we, we like to keep, stay on our task and do what we're supposed to be doing. I have a fault that I'm not the greatest at energizing people, galvanizing people, like getting them super excited. I, I would be the worst salesperson uh, because I'm just going to give you the facts just as it is, not trying to convince you. And it's up to you whether you're on board or not. And that's why we do need some people who could galvanize and be nice to have those type of people. Um, it turns introverted leaders, they work best when they're leading uh, extroverts. If we're all introverts, we're all listening to each other, but no one has much to say. It's great that we can listen to each other well, but we do need extroverted people who could speak to. So help me out, you know. Um, but the point here is that whether you are an extrovert, extrovert or an introvert, you can lead using the gifts God gave you. Introverts, you're, you're going to listen more. You know, you, you think of the story of MLK. He appears to be more of an extrovert, although there are some who say that he's an introvert. Um, but it's interesting that we have MLK, but without Rosa Parks, who was an extreme introverted person, the civil rights movement wouldn't be as effective as it was. But fortunately, we have both. Martin Luther King Jr. and Rosa Parks, who just took a stand 
Oh, he, she took a seat now, and <laughs> where she wasn't, but yeah. <laughs> um, they had great listening skills, and they were careful and methodical with their words. Use those gifts. If you're an introvert, spe extrovert, speak your mind. And introverts, we can evangelize. We all need to evangelize. But don't think of evangelism with negative images. Don't, don't cringe when you hear evangelism. Don't think about picket signs with images of hellfire, street corner preachers spouting off to people hustling by. And if you're called to that, fine. But evangelism is more than extroverts armed with a quick wit and the gift of gab. It's more than that. I heard the story about this airplane trip from Southern California to Seattle. There were these two students on their way home. They were sitting next to each other. One was a Christian and the other was not. Um, the Christian student asked the other student about his religious background. And before really listening to the other student, the non-believer, he, he, he just began to give a response. He wasn't really listening to the other person, rambling. He gave a rambling presentation of the gospel. He preached and testified his way through the two and a half hour flight, just talking. He was the main one talking. And there was another Christian there, hearing in the back and just listening to them. And even he was annoyed by the rambling. Just He was being obnoxious, to be honest. And he prayed, this other Christian, God, please don't let this interaction forever close this guy off from the gospel. And I think we, 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 we need to have that sense that sometimes just rambling and being obnoxious with the gospel can really just close people off from actually hearing and listening and thinking that we care about them. We, we, this, our overly confrontational approach could really dissuade people from ever listening to the gospel. We have to stop seeing ourselves as spiritual selves people. Here's what the professor of, uh, of evangelism at Wheaton College, and it's also on your notes, had to say about our common image of an evangelist. Many Christians think they have to dump their content on someone and then close the deal, or else they haven't really shared their faith. This basic paradigm of evangelism as individuals seeking to make the close on a sales call permeates the evangelical consciousness. It's a, you see it present everywhere. The par this paradigm of evangelism is a barrier to Christians, for it leaves them feeling like they don't have a part to play in it. If they are not extroverted, persuasive, an expert on their product, skilled at responding to the questions that will come up, and able to be pushy and assertive when it comes to making the clothes, then they don't identify with evangelism as part of their life and gift. This is just not who God made me to be. I'm not extroverted. Like, like I said earlier, I wouldn't be a good salesperson. So, if it's the case that an evangelist is a salesperson, needs to be extroverted, then I'm going to have problems with evangelizing. But evangelism is not the peddling of a salesperson. Look, look at 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 3. I'll read it. Look how Paul evangelized. And he, he was brilliant. He, he, he was a theologian. He said in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 3, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, 
I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. Paul didn't come saying, I know everything with wise words, with a great presentation. He came with humility and weakness and fear and much trembling. Paul knew a lot. He was super knowledgeable about the mysteries of God. He saw Jesus, and yet when he preached the good news of Jesus, he didn't use his knowledge. Paul presented it with trembling and weakness and fear. I think this is where introverts can flourish. Introverts have gone deep into their souls, or at least you should think uh, a lot and go deep in your souls. You should have an insight on how God's love has reached the darkest parts of your lives. The, the gospel paradox is that when we reveal our own weaknesses to others, we come in touch and put others in touch with the one who can heal. Evangelism doesn't require to front, to put on this mask and act like everything is perfect. It doesn't require you to act like you're the strong one in the relationship. We evangelize when we both recognize our limits, our wounds, and that we also need strength from God and others. One scholar said, as you develop genuine friendships, you will probably be surprised by what your greatest asset is. It's your humanity. It's your weaknesses, your doubts, and your questions. That's what connects you with people. Most people today are not, at first, interested in your answers. They couldn't care less. But they will immediately relate to and identify with your questions and struggles. We are in this together. We don't need to be experts. We need to be okay with saying, I don't know. Because Christians don't, being a Christian doesn't mean that we have all the answers. But we do know that God brings healing and that he has redeemed us and he helps us. We know that when we believe in God, we have peace. And sometimes we might not feel it, but we know if we continue this walk, we will flourish. We are in this together. Something helpful when it comes to evangelism is to recognize this truth. And this truth is that you're not initiating this spiritual conversation. But rather, recognize this. When you're talking to somebody, God has already been working with that person. And you're just responding to what God has been doing in their lives. Work with the Holy Spirit. Say, okay, God, when you're talking to somebody, how have you been working with this person and how could I bring it to light? How can I confirm that God has been working with this person? How could I help this person see that you have been working, that you've been helping them? I mentioned St. Francis, the quote earlier, preach the gospel at all times, all the time you're preaching. If necessary, use words. This is not a license for introverts to stay quiet about Jesus. Our evangelism does include words, but most of the time our actions, they speak louder than words. They're more important. Now for more specifics, 
It is likely that for introverts, the most natural setting for sharing the gospel will be one-on-one -on -one friendships. The people who are already in my life. When I began my walk, I, I remember sharing Christ with all of my friends. Certainly, sometimes I attempted to be the extroverted salesperson. But I noticed that the most effective times that I shared Jesus with were in those relationships that I had built over the years. It takes longer, but they're more meaningful. These relationships are stronger and more likely to start seeing Christ. And they, your friends that are closer, they could start seeing how Christ has changed your life. They're more, your friends are more likely to hear you out. And in those conversations with our friends, we don't need to be the know-it-alls. Instead, we want to know how God is working. You know, show them how God has been working in our lives. So when we're talking to other people, we don't need to talk all of the time, but we could be like, tell me more about that. Let me hear more about that. Express it. Listen and see how the Spirit could help their lives. Another helpful thing for introverts is pursuing mutual interests. If you make friends going out, watching anime, working out, that's good. Try to find people there and talk to them, build relationships doing that. Great ways. An opportunity, and try to find opportunities to see how, help them see how God has already been working in their lives. You're not the initiator. God has been working. Now, I'm going to share a story, which I don't know how you will take it because there are different positions even in this room. Um, and I think it's good that we have different perspectives on this. Um, but again, if you disagree on me, that's with me, that's totally fine. You're still part of this church. You're still loved. You're still in the same level field as any member of this church. Um, but let me share, just for the record, my position on drinking alcohol, and then I'll share a story. So, drinking has become a big deal in the U.S. because of the prohibition that we had several years ago. During, I think, the 40s, 50s, around that time, there was a big prohibition. Um, and other countries don't have the same deal with um, drinking alcohol. But I think it's for good reason that people are wary. They're, like, careful with drinking alcohol. There has been abuse and health issues. It destroys families. And there has been drunk driving. So I will never say, advocate for drinking alcohol alcohol never be like say you need to drink alcohol but I will also not say that alcohol is a sin uh, abuse of it undoubtedly is a sin drunkenness is a sin but if I am frank Jesus probably drank wine and he drank good wine and he would drink it every Shabbat every Sabbath uh, during the Sabbath, Sabbath dinner and during some weddings and also the last supper he drank wine in fact, Pharisees would say, would call him in Matthew eleven nine. He would they would call him here as a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, because he would hang out with drunkards and sinners, and he would drink and eat with them, and he made good wine at the wedding of Canaan. He also drank wine at the Last Supper, and then there are passages like this, Ecclesiastes eight fifteen. So I commend adjoinment. Because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat, drink, and enjoy himself. For this will accompany him in his labor during the days of his life that God gives him under the sun. Ecclesiastes 9.7 Go eat your bread with pleasure and drink your wine with a cheerful heart. For God has already accepted your works. 
But at the same time, even though they are, they are these positive things, it's not a free go. Proverbs 23, 20, do not join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat. Ephesians 5, 18, and don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit. So it's a nuanced view. I can't completely prohibit drinking, but I can say that the Bible sees it as something that can be good, but it also could be bad. People and professors I look up to drink and build relationships at pubs. I don't drink often, at least not on a regular basis. Have I? Yes, but I don't drink on a regular basis. Maybe not on a monthly basis now, um, especially since my liver isn't the greatest. Uh, but I think these are things to consider if you plan to drink alcohol. And again, you could disagree with me. That's totally fine. You could say it's a sin and it, it, follow your conviction or you might have a looser view than me, but I think this is a biblical view. Um, and here are some suggestions. Obey the government, the law, when you are drinking. Don't drink and drive. Paul tells us to respect authority. Don't become addicted to it. Don't become master to it like you need it. Don't get drunk. You want to have self-control. You want to make sure that you're not acting in a way that you will re uh, regret. Don't cause somebody to stumble. If you drinking is going to cause somebody else harm, then don't drink. Say you drink a beer with a recovering alcoholic and he's trying his best to recover and you're just tempting the recovering alcoholic. Don't, don't tempt them, just avoid that. If somebody has a conviction that says no drinking at all at a party or something, don't, don't put your beliefs on them. And also don't drink uh, if you have a health problem too. But drinking is fine, it's okay. Jesus went to parties and drank wine. Imagine if there was a social media, if there was social media then, people would be like, oh look, Jesus is drinking with sinners and just posting it and make a big fuss about that. Christians, Pharisees, they would worry about that. But Jesus didn't care. He cared about evangelism. And if you disagree with my view, again, that's okay. We could still be united even if you view that any alcohol use is a sin. Now, I had to preface that because of the story that I'm going to share. Okay, and I just wanted to be clear with my view. Um, so, you might be interested in wine tasting. Uh, an author, a pastor that I read about, he, he was interested in wine tasting. He developed a taste for wine. And um, he was an introverted pastor. He acquired this taste for wine, and I haven't yet. You know, sometimes I try tasting it, but still don't have that taste for that. Uh, but he found himself in California in one of the wineries. And, he, and guess what happened there? He began talking about God at a winery. One time he was at a winery where they had this painting uh, of two people carrying large clusters of, of grape between two posts. And he pointed out, because he knew the Bible, he's a pastor, he pointed out that this was a scene from the Bible. It was when uh, the, the people were leaving uh, the promised land to show Israel that it was full of fruit, that it was full of grapes. And because wine in our culture carries that symbolism of maybe romance and good life, so this conversation was, was easy to, to point out. Like Once he pointed that out, people were like, huh, that, that's kind of interesting. Tell me more about the Bible. 
And then he just started talking about the Bible with the people there at a winery because they had a common interest. And he wasn't trying to be anybody else. And he just pointed something out. And that conversation led to the conversation about the Bible. And it turns out that one of the persons there said, you know what? You made me want to read the Bible after when I get home. That's, that's a win. That's a big win. We need to have important conversations. You're not the initiator. God is. And I end with a list of ways so that you can thrive in evangelism. You don't need to have the extroverted approach. You could have the introverted approach. If you're an extroverted, then be extroverted. Just embrace who you are. But these are some tips that could help you evangelize and share your faith. Narrow your focus. You don't need to evangelize everybody. There's steps that you could take slowly. It turns out that people usually won't go to church until they know and have good relationships with five other Christians. That's usually the case. So they become more trusting of the church when they know other, five other Christians. So if you just build one relationship, you're building one. Work in small steps. Ask questions in those relationships. Ask for time if you don't. Hey, somebody asks you a question about something that you don't know. Hey, I don't know right now, but I'll get back to you. Find a comfortable environment. Where do you usually thrive? Know your role. You're not there to do everything. You don't need to get from that person. Okay, I'm going to get baptized right away. Some people just plant the seed. Some people water it. But God is the one that gives the growth. You don't have to do everything. So process all of this. Take your time. Think about it. There is a way for you to express yourself, your faith, in this church. And there is a way for you to express your faith with others. The Christian faith is not just for extroverts. It's also for introverts. But not just for introverts. It's for everyone. You're welcomed here. And you are loved. Let's all pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us together. I pray that today all of us may just embrace who we are more and just love ourselves more because you love us. Love, love that, our personality that you have given us, that we bend one side or the other side. Let us just embrace it and love that. God, I pray that you may give us the wisdom and knowledge, Lord, and acceptance that we could do this. We could be the church that you want us to be. We don't have to try to be like other churches. Let us be in counter church. Let us be who you have called us to be. And let us reach the lost generation, generation with the good news of Jesus. I pray that you may be with us throughout this, throughout this week in Jesus' name. Amen.